Welcome back. This is episode nine of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. The Bricks and Mortar podcast, well, that's a podcast about property. If you've got an interest in property, if you want to buy, sell, rent, or invest in property, then in the next 20 or 30 minutes, I'm sure you'll find something that'll float your boat and light your candle. We've certainly got uh, a lot to talk about this week, and uh, what we're going to have a chat about is competence. There are four stages of competence. You might not have known about the four stages of competence, but I'll tell you a wee bit more about that. I'll tell you about where we're at in the buying process, which is at the qualifying acceptance stage. And we'll also tell you a wee bit more about mortgages and what mortgages are out there. There are some cracking rates if you've got uh, a 10, 20 or a 30% mortgage available. On a personal front, we've had the number one uh, ended up winning the Glasgow Schools High Jump uh, yesterday. I was down at Scotstone watching that, so she did a, a season's best and then we're travelling up to Grangemouth on Friday just to see how she gets on in the Scottish schools. So she certainly pulled it out of the bag yesterday. Uh, quite surprised that she managed to jump. I think she ended up jumping 147, so... Uh, yeah, really pleased that uh, she got over the bar and managed to, to do a repeat on the, the Scottish, the Glasgow schools. Uh, number two, she's off to the Glasgow schools trials next week, so I'll catch up on that. And for me, I'm building a deck. Uh, I've got the tools out and she who must be obeyed has got me building a deck. Uh, she's sick and fed up in... Um, sitting in a builder's yard at the back so I'm entrusted over the next fortnight to construct a deck so spent pretty much all of the weekend doing that and we're, we're, we're pretty much there I just need to get the planks of wood ordered and we can get that out whether or not that will add any value to the property um, I don't know and quite frankly I don't really care all I'm looking for is a, a quiet life and I'll get that once the deck has been completed so we're going to kick off this week's show with a talk about competence if you've been listening to the show for any length of time then you'll know that I'm a big fan of podcasts and I do listen to any number of podcasts I think on the current playlist I've got a podcast about marathon running, uh, there's quite a few about productivity and business, uh, I've got one about triathlon and there's one about uh, talking about murders of, of all things and uh, the other one that I, I listen to is Stuff You Should Know. Uh, on the business side of things, they really are and can be quite illuminating. I, I want to talk about competence and, and there's quite an interesting, it was Back to Work, the podcast I was listening to. And they were talking about the stages of competence. I have to say, I don't know if, if you're aware of this, but there are four stages of competence. And really, I think if you look at what you do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and take yourself back through your career, you'll probably, this will resonate. Uh, the four stages of competence will resonate. And ultimately, if you are in any large organisation, you will know that there are you will identify various people who are at the various stages of competence. So I'm going to kick off here 
with first of all as I say four stages of competence and the first one uh, is right at ground level and you're looking at somebody who has got an unconscious incompetence and what does that mean unconscious incompetence well really what it means is a they can't do the job uh, and b they don't know the consequences of not being able to do the job so I guess if you look at a legal sphere it would be somebody who um, wouldn't know uh, what the, or, or couldn't do the transaction and didn't know what the consequences are of say not ordering the loan funds in time um, so that's uh, somebody who's got unconscious incompetence uh, I certainly think that you don't want to be having too many of those people in your business and certainly I think we've all started off at some stage as being an unconscious incompetent but you certainly want to be trying to get to the second stage as quickly as possible because if you don't get to the second stage then I think it's P45 time uh, pretty quickly. So you then come to the conscious incompetent and what that means is well you still can't do your job but I tell you what you know the consequences of not doing part of your job so if we're looking at the legal scenario uh, there then you're looking at somebody who knows that if they don't order up the money then the their clients aren't going to get their keys and they're not going to complete the transaction on time so that is the conscious incompetent uh, never great uh, being incompetent as far as your job is concerned so what you want to try and do is to become competent and that's where we jump to the third stage again uh, you would really be wanting to get out of the incompetent stage pretty quickly otherwise uh, you might be on the dole so we're on to the conscious competent um, and this is where I think a lot of us reside. Uh, this is the person who has been doing their job, they know how to do their job so they're competent at doing their job but they have to concentrate and it doesn't come easily to them and they have to keep say looking at manuals and they have to keep asking their colleagues, asking their managers because to tell you the truth yes I can do my job but you know what I keep having to look at the manual um, a conscious competent you're probably if you're looking at a trainee solicitor you're probably into your second year you know how to do your job but it just doesn't come easily to you so what you're aiming for is to become the unconscious competent and really what that means is if you take the analogy of driving a car you don't have to remember how to change gear you don't need to remember whether it's, it's second gear just as you're going around a corner or uh, putting it into to third gear or, or knowing where reverse is it just becomes completely second nature and that's what you want to try and get to into a stage of the unconscious competent I think that if you, you reach that, then really what you need to be doing is you need to be expanding your horizons and seeing what else you can become an unconscious competent at. Uh, I think that the concern may well be that you just stay as an unconscious competent in a particular part of your job, but what you need to be is you need to be an unconscious competent uh, in all aspects of your job uh, and that's where training comes in and that's where 
CPD continual professional development comes in because you really as a career you need to be moving forward in all aspects with that. So how do you get from being an unconscious incompetent to the heady world of an unconscious competent? Well, time. Uh, you don't just go from you know, the first stage to, to the final stage. It will take time. It will certainly take a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work on your behalf. Um, and there'll be an element of training. You, you can get so much, I think, from books, uh, from videos, from seminars, but ultimately it's the one-to-one -one training that you're going to get from your colleagues and uh, those in management that will allow you to uh, move f through the four stages of competence. But ultimately, even if you have all those three, if you're not, if you don't have a willingness to learn, then you might as well just forget it. I think you need to be open, you need to have a willingness to learn um, and a willingness to improve yourself. So those are the four stages of, of competence. Um, why don't you work out what stage you're at? So as far as the legal transaction is concerned, where have we got to? Well, we've got the offer, uh, we've got a verbal acceptance, and now what we need to get is a qualified acceptance, which is the sellers saying in writing that your offer has been accepted. But it, very rarely will it be a straight acceptance, which would mean missives are concluded. Most of the time what will happen is that there will be certain qualifications that you as a purchaser will have to look at and accept. And what will happen is that you will either accept these qualifications or you will go back and make counter proposals to the seller. And the whole process of the missives is that you're going back to and fro until one, either the purchaser or the seller, finally accepts the other's conditions and then that's when you've got missives concluded. How long will the, the, the process take? You're probably talking about, depending upon if you've got your mortgage in place, if you've got your mortgage in place there really shouldn't be any delay and you could be trying to get missives concluded within a matter of weeks. However, if there's a wee bit of a problem with regards to your mortgage then uh, you know you could be talking four weeks, maybe five weeks to get missives concluded. So the offer, um, your offer goes to the seller's estate agents. Uh, our offer for purchasing a property will have a time limit on it. That time limit generally is about seven days. Very rarely do you actually get a response back within that seven day period. So don't be too overly concerned that there's been a delay. I would be saying that if you don't get a, a response back from your own solicitor within say 10 working days, then you may want to give your solicitor a nudge. We certainly are looking to chase things up. What you've also got to be aware of, unless you've got your mortgage in place, when that qualified acceptance comes back, your solicitor is not going to be advising you to conclude missives until you've got your money, i.e. your loan, sorted out or you've concluded missives in connection with your sale. So it might not be such a good idea to put pressure on the seller to get a written acceptance back to you unless you're in a position shortly thereafter to be able to move back and conclude missives or issue a further formal letter. So you're probably better sometimes leaving uh, or letting sleeping dogs lie and just wait for the seller to come back to you. This will give you 
enough time hopefully to get your missives concluded in connection with your sale if you've got one or you need to get your mortgage sorted out so the offer goes out to the seller the seller then talks to the solicitor the solicitor will then issue the written acceptance and in this written acceptance what they'll be doing is they'll be accepting the price the date of entry and the movable items if there has been any toing and froing as sometimes happens when you put the offer in and say a date of entry has been changed or uh, a purchase price has been changed rather than the purchaser uh, changing that and issuing a new offer what tends to happen is that the qualified acceptance is issued on the basis that verbally there's been an agreement to change to the purchase price or the date of entry and that's reflected in the qualified acceptance as i say it's very rare to get a straight acceptance and generally what you'll find is that most solicitors will uh, if there's this is the selling solicitors if the offer to purchase is been has been made subject to a loan or subject to a survey that's the first clause they'll delete they're not going to enter into a conditional contract with you and then the second clause they'll probably delete is the alterations clause this clause is a clause within the standard missives states that all local authority documentation relative to any alterations or construction of the property will be issued with the qualified acceptance um, and the other clause that they'll take out is a clause relating to the timber treatment works again our written offer states that you uh, that the seller will provide all documentation relative to timber treatment works again what tends to happen is that the sellers will delete that and issue the title deeds or if the survey or the home report doesn't make reference to any timber treatment works having been carried out then uh, the sellers will delete that clause and say well there hasn't been any uh, timber treatment works carried out so you're just going to have to accept that so those are the general deletions that you will find in the qualified acceptance. What you'll also find is that the sellers, just as the purchasers have put a time limit for accepting the offer, the sellers will then put a time limit on their qualified acceptance for their acceptance. And this is where your solicitor starts to earn his or her corn. It's very rare that by the time you've got the qualified acceptance in from the selling solicitors that you're ready to go and there is a bit of a sort of cat and mouse chase uh, between the purchaser and the seller. Clearly the seller wants you and trying to force you to conclude missives in connection with the purchase but the purchaser is reluctant to do that until they've got all of their ducks in a row i.e they've concluded missives in connection with the sale or they've got their mortgage in place. So the last thing that you as a purchaser want to do is to conclude missives until you've got your mortgage in place. But what you don't want to find is that by the time you've got your mortgage in place, the seller's been so pissed off with the delays that they've then gone to resell the property. There is a lot of times when, the, as acting for the purchasing solicitor, you'll get a letter or an email, probably an email or a phone call from the seller solicitor saying that unless you conclude missives within a period of time, then they're going to remarket the property. They're entitled to do that. It's very rare that they want to do that because the seller doesn't want the hassle of getting other people out to the property and you may have 
got you you as a purchaser may have been successful um, and that offer may be way ahead of anybody else who had bid at the closing date so it's not necessarily in the interests of the seller to go back and seek um, to remarket the property the best thing that a purchasing solicitor can do in these in this situation is to continue to communicate with the uh, with the selling solicitor my experience tells me that as i say the last thing that the seller wants to do is to have to remarket the the property because it's an incredible amount of hassle and they don't have to go through that hassle again so what I certainly find is that if I'm not, as a purchasing solicitor, not in a position to conclude missives, the most important thing for me is to continue to communicate with the seller. Because if you open up a dialogue with the seller and the seller solicitor, then and you, you establish some sort of rapport and relationship with both of them, then they're less likely to want to pull the pin and remarket the property. If you as a solicitor or your client sticks their head in the sand, then hell mend you because you know if I was their sellers and I wasn't getting any feedback from the purchasers then all I'm going to think is the worst i.e. there's some problem with the mortgage or there is some problem with the sale timing is very important here as well that notwithstanding the fact that you as a purchasing solicitor have established a good relationship and you're continuing to communicate with them about the mortgage there will come a point as far as the seller is concerned notwithstanding anything that you as a purchasing solicitor say there will come a point where the seller says listen you've had your chance and clearly for whatever reason you're not able to move the transaction forward and they may just decide to put a gun to your head and say that's it we're going to remarket the property there have been a number of occasions um, when when that's happened but generally speaking by that time you know as a purchasing solicitor that the, the game's a bogey and you're never going to get the funding or you're not going to be able to conclude the missives in connection with the sale of your property but communication as with all things to do with the buying and selling of property communication is absolutely key if you don't have that com communication then um, th there really is no way of continuing the process with regards to the missives where you do not have a mortgage in, in place. When I'm communicating, just finally, when I'm communicating with the uh, selling solicitor, I'll be giving them updates. Uh, certainly, I'll be giving them updates on a weekly basis as to how matters are progressing with either my client's sale or their mortgage application. I'll chase up the broker for the loan. Um, what you can also do is maybe look at the title deeds because in all, with all likelihood, the qualified acceptance, the written acceptance has come along with the title deeds. So at least you can get along with doing that and possibly issuing a draft qualified acceptance, an unsigned qualified acceptance that at least allows the transaction to move forward and uh, as previously stated you can examine the title deeds and do all the drafting some solicitors are reluctant to do that because they know that if they do all the drafting and the deal doesn't go ahead the chances of getting paid are pretty remote so before i do that i certainly seek clarification from my client that that 
is what he or she wants me to do. Again, all about communication, but also when you're communicating, you can't keep telling the same old story. Um, you've got to keep giving the seller some positive news um, because ultimately, if you can't give them positive news, then they are just going to look at remarketing the property. Once you've got your missives concluded in connection with your sale as a purchaser, and once you've got your offer of loan through from the lender, then you're good to go as far as trying to get missives concluded. You're better having already, if you're not going back to conclude missives, having received the qualified acceptance, um, then the last thing you want to be doing is uh, raising new matters two or three days before the date of entry with the selling solicitors. That doesn't go down too well. So I think what you've got to do is make sure before you're in a position to move it forward, identify the clangers that are going to make the transaction uh, more difficult. Um, make sure that you identify those areas which will need additional work by the sellers before you can, can complete the transaction. There is nothing worse from a seller's perspective and a selling solicitor's perspective that you've waited and waited and waited for the purchasers to come back to you with um, a, a formal letter to conclude missives only at the 11th hour for them to turn around and say, oh, we need a building warrant or a completion certificate or a SEPA consent or um, a dampened timber specialist report. These things as a purchaser and a purchasing solicitor should be being identified well before you are able to move forward with the missives. And it's only courtesy, I think, for a purchasing solicitor to raise these matters because, as I say, there's nothing worse from a seller's solicitor and a seller's perspective is that at the 11th hour, when you think everything's sorted out, that the purchaser's got their loan, that they, they um, drop a bombshell, that they need X, Y and Z from you. So that's all about the qualified acceptance. We're edging closer towards the examination of title. We're edging closer to getting the loan papers. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about uh, LBTT, which is the, uh, the new stamp duty. We'll talk about title deeds and we'll talk about the, the loan papers and, and really get into the nitty gritty of the purchasing transaction. take a moment now to talk about mortgages and what I'll probably do in the next uh, number of episodes. In fact, every episode, I think what I'll do is I'll detail what the best rates are on a weekly basis. Um, but probably best for you to know the types of mortgages that are available before we start talking about the rates. So fixed rates, um, what that means is that your rate will be fixed for a period, tends to be two years, three years, five years or ten years. And once you get a fixed rate, then that is the amount that you will pay during that fixed rate term. Generally, what is able to be done is that that rate can be portable so that if you buy a pro another pro property, then you can port that rate over uh, without incurring any early redemption penalties. However, if you trade down or you just don't buy another property and need to get out of the deal, i.e. sell your property, then you can expect to pay an early redemption penalty. A discounted rate uh, it gives a discount off uh, sometimes 
the stat well it is the standard variable rate of the lenders uh, there is no fixed uh, amount there so with the interest rate the bank of england base rate at half a percent uh, discounted rates aren't so popular um, fixed rates are certainly very popular you've got the tracker which tracks the base rate of the bank of england but generally speaking what people are now interested in are the the fixed rates You've got an offset mortgage. I think that if you've got a lot of savings, then an offset mortgage is sensible. What happens with an offset mortgage is that if you have got a, a, a savings, an amount of savings, and you take out a mortgage, then rather than say, for example, you've got savings of £20,000 and you've got a mortgage of £100,000, normally you would pay interest on the £100,000. But if you've got an offset mortgage, what they do is they offset the interest that you would get on your savings for £20,000. They deduct the £20,000 from the £100,000 and you only pay interest on the £80,000, which is £100,000 less £20,000. I say if you're self-employed and you've got a tax liability at the end of each year and you save your tax as you should do on a monthly basis, then that may prove popular for you. Fixed rates are all the rage at the moment because really at 0.5%, half a percent Bank of England base rate, you know, can it go any lower? Um, you know, a lot of people will be saying that the only way is for the interest rates to go up. So I think what a lot of people are doing is they're fixing at two years. Uh, there's not a great deal of difference between a, a, a two year, a three year and a five year fixed rate. Um, Again, what you've got to watch is that if you get a cracking rate uh, on two, three, five or 10 and the interest rate starts to creep up, you'll never get that same rate uh, in the event that you have to remortgage. So there's something called mortgage shock, which is the shock of having to increase your mortgage payments once you come out of fixed rate. Fixed rates um, and discounted rates. Discounted rates were probably more important when the interest rates were up around about 5 or 6% and uh, fixed rates were maybe less so. But it's interesting just to see how that completely switched as the interest rates plummeted for, uh, for well, I suppose, since 2008, 2009, when the interest rates start to plummet, plummet towards 0.5%. So in the coming weeks, what I'll do is I'll identify market leading rates at, at two at two year fixes. Um, we'll have a look at offsets, uh, three year fixes, five year fixes, and uh, see when discounted rates are going to make a comeback. So we'll do that in the coming week. So that's it, listeners. We've come to the end of episode nine of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Um, can you get in touch with me? If you'd like to get in touch with me, then please drop me a tweet. Uh, I'm at jwilliams underscore bb for the Twitters. Onto the email, just email me on jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. We've got the website, uh, www.thebricksandmortarpodcast.co.uk. Good if you could subscribe to the blogs, which are coming out on a weekly basis. Uh, last week's blog, I did one on the Experian, or rather the credit report, and uh, how important that credit report is. 
Um, we're still subscribed onto iTunes, so if you would like to avoid the hassle of having to download the podcast every week, then hop on over to iTunes and you can subscribe for free. You can also subscribe through the website and also subscribe and follow me on SoundCloud, which is the RSS feed. You can text me or get in touch with me on the mobile. Mobile number is 07855182541. That's 07855182541. So we're drawing to a close of this week's episode. Uh, I had a chat with Ian Williamson of Ivy Property and he's keen to come on the show. So we're going to try and get an interview with him next week. Uh, probably do that on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, Ivy Property are an estate agent. Uh, I used to know them as Park Road Estate Agents back in the day. Uh, I've known Ian for 10 years or so. Uh, he's one of my rugby buddies and uh, he has got some great insight as to the markets uh, currently in the West End uh, and also great insight into uh, running his own company. So that's Ian Williamson and he's going to have a chat with me of Ivy Property. I'm going to start training soon uh, now that the Mullapintyre half marathon is well behind me. I've got another um, marathon this time. It's a marathon cycle. I'm hoping to complete the Glasgow to Edinburgh. Uh, there's a, an annual cycle race there in September I think it is. So it'll be good to get back on the bike and uh, pull on the uh, the bike shoes and and see what I can do there so as I say you've been listening to the bricks and mortar podcast we hope to see you next week the bricks and mortar podcast a sideways look at buying property